Here we are. Me, Annabelle Crabb, and introduce yourself. Belinda. <laughs> Belinda's doing my makeup. Why don't you say hello? Um, my name's Annabelle. I'm already <laughs> beautiful. So, uh, actually, Belinda's already made me up. And uh, we're about to do to Belinda possibly the worst thing you can ever do to a makeup artist, which is, do you mind if we just knock over a podcast while you're simultaneously <laughs> trying to paint the face of one of the people talking? And you should um, have seen her face when we <laughs> floated it. It was like someone had dropped a very stinky, yeah. you know what. Uh, which coincidentally, uh, Lee's also, also done. So that's um, <laughs> a, just a double bad morning for <laughs> Belle, really. Belinda's already filthy because now I'm laughing. She's trying to do my eyes and it's yeah. just, you know, she's an uh, absolute look, hiding to nothing. We all had reservations when this bold plan was pitched let's be honest but where where, where are we we're in a um we're in a prop studio yeah somewhere deep in sydney's inner west and can i also just say look, belinda deserves having a life made hell because just a second ago mm. you make my dreams came come true came on the radio and i said i love hall and oats and belinda goes of course you do <laughs> well if i were here i would have said exactly the same thing so <laughs> belinda's just carrying on my role in the sledging oh, the other hilarious oh, for real the other, yeah, are you jo- who doesn't like Hall and Oates? Um, Apparently Belinda. <laughs> yes. Well, you, 66.6 recurring of the people currently in this room don't like Hall and Oates, dude. You're a Maybe rich girl it's you. Too far. They're great. God, so what are the greatest hits of Hall and Oates? Uh, man Eater. Oh, oh Man Eater, come on. Oh, that's because you do the mansplainer thing. Yeah. This is, okay, this has actually changed my experience of life online, knowing that, will you explain what you do? Oh, no, I will because you're having your face painted on okay so um every time you get one of those little excellent excellent social media inputs from some dude who's like this time lee when you're interview- interviewing the prime minister try to follow up the the, the answers try to hold him to account <laughs> you're just like oh hello dude um so you recently um outlined that whenever you get one of those you get this yeah i hear See, I think ridicule is a very underutilised weapon and so you can take the sting out of someone being an idiot if you just make a joke, whether, whether you share it with them or not. So anytime a bloke comes on and tells me how to do my job, which let's face it is every single day on Twitter, um, all I hear when I see it is, whoa, here he comes. Look out, boys, he'll fill you up. Whoa, here he comes. He's a mansplainer. <laughs> um, and so I started tweeting some people's tweets and wrote that and then now I've just got shorthand. I just put a treble clef in a staff and that's my shorthand for I just am singing Hall and Oates every time you are in touch with me so then it just it just entertains me doesn't entertain anyone else just entertains me well you've got to think of a witty comeback for me for every time someone says Annabelle you're better off staying in the kitchen or like um trying your hand at political analysis stick to scones love yeah now I get that a lot Always from blokes. It's really interesting. Um, And they usually misspell my name as well. Why is that? Like there's something that really like if someone is going to like tell me to get back in the kitchen, they'll also (laughs) give me a double L-E on my name. (laughs) There must be some complicated psychological reason for that. But it's just like it's the law is almost 100%. Like, I mean, it's quite extraordinary. I'm very rarely told to get back in the kitchen by somebody who remembers how to spell my name correctly. Oh, well, somebody sent us an email the other day and asking us to do something and your name was spelled incorrectly. I wish I could remember what it was, but oh, I yeah, remember thinking like, yeah. surely if you want Annabelle Crabb to do something that takes a lot of time and effort for you for nothing, you might like to spell it correctly. <laughs> anyway, um, so we just had a few days off, both of us, and so I got a bit of reading done and a bit of television watching. So I thought, well, while Belinda's trying to do her work, let's quickly knock off a podcast. 
say. I've been, I was doing a kind of like um, keeping an eye on the campaign, but also um, hanging out with my kids. So I didn't get anything done. But, oh, okay. Uh, well, I watched a fifteen-minute TED talk. <laughs> oh, okay. What was right? Were you actually? It was a really. Uh, it was a. It was a really striking and um, affecting. I found it really interesting this TED talk and I don't you know I don't go to the TED talk website all that often because I know that if I start getting in to watching people's fascinating talks then I'll never come out again yeah um it's sort of the same way that I avoid getting um involved in really long-running sticky series because I just think oh you know yeah right but um so a couple of days ago uh this um journalist from the I think she's from the Observer um her name is Carol Cadwallader. Oh, my God, she's Welsh. So, of course, she has the most completely um, adorable surname, Cadwallader, which is spelled, just for those of you who are interested in spelling, <laughs> C-A-D-W-A-L-L-A-D-R. Imagine how many patronising... This is such a treat for you, Belinda, is it? <laughs> didn't get to be I'm part of this riveting up. conversation. I'm trying to soak up a lot of the talking in this part where you're doing eyes because Lee Sales <laughs> takes the piss with her eyes, so she needs her eyes for, like... While she's talking. Um, have you, actually, can I have you ever listened to our podcast before? Yes, I have. Oh, okay, all right. So this isn't news to you the she way we need just to. speak. She gets right. that sort of bullshit live. <laughs> um, can I just also additionally paint the picture of what's happening here? There's a kind of a um, – Sales is in a high chair. Um, Not a high chair, just one, a chair that's actually high. Actually a high chair. She's also wearing a nappy, but a like, uh, story for another time. And um, – Belinda's painting her eyes and I am kind of like, for once, using the full strollability of the medieval yeah, contraceptive devices you know, long. I, I feel like I'm, that. It's like you, I feel like it's I'm like staged. You think you're I'm doing a stand-up comedy routine. It's like an afternoon with David around. Niven here right now. Like I'm just strolling around. <laughs> with about a quarter of the wit. So anyway. And about yeah. an eighth of the good looks. And hardly any of the moustache. Um, a bit. <laughs> 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 I won't ask Belinda a for a fact a check on that. Oh, mate. She knows about my facial hair issues. I once, not long ago, a makeup artist said, um, Do you mind if I'm like, mate, like, what's your start? Maybe you're there telling for a while. me sometime somebody subtly said something to you and you said, I, can, I know you, what you're talking about. You're talking about my moustache, okay? And I'm not, I'm not waxing it off. It's fine. Just like, Leave me alone. Oh, life's a bit short. Anyway, anyway yeah, so, uh, so. Carol Cadwallader has been um, in uh, after the Brexit vote. She's really uh, involved herself in looking at what the factors that fed into the vote were, and um, particularly the sorts of messages that were people getting through social media, not through um, uh, kind of legacy media. Yeah. And she went to her hometown in Wales and to see because it was one of the highest no votes in the UK mm-hmm. and she said I was walking around you know in this old town and it used to be um, a mining town and um, got into big trouble once that kind of came to an end and she said the town used to look um, you know really industrial and now is kind of all um, shiny new stadiums and new roads and bridges and stuff and she shows in the talk all these pictures of these um, facilities that have been funded by the EU. And right. she's like, why is it that um, this town that's had all this money pumped into it and been totally transformed by EU money is the highest kind of one of the highest regions voting um, to leave? And so once she started to talk to people there, she found that the things that they that had really motivated their vote was that they'd um, 
I said, well, look, it's immigration. It's all of these immigrants that are making trouble. And she's look, looking around the town going, like, I cannot see a single immigrant. And there was, she runs into some Polish woman who reckons she's the only foreigner who lives in the town. Wow. And it turns out that what has motivated a lot of these people is stuff that they got on Facebook um, and really made up stuff that they got through these sort of viral online campaigns saying mm-hmm. that the um, that Britain's being swamped by immigrants and that um, – this campaign about, well, Turkey's about to join the EU and that's going to fill um, UK with a whole a whole new range of um, undesirables and so on, which is complete rubbish. And so she's become, over the course of her investigations, more and more freaked out by the, um, the way in which online campaigning has circumvented the democratic electoral rules of the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously there was a lot of that going on in the last um, American election uh, presidential campaign too. And so what she's doing in this TED Talk is calling out mainly Facebook but also the other um, on social media giants for essentially ruining functional democracy as we know it. It's such mm. a powerful speech wow. and even more so because you can see how nervous she is, right, that she um, – because she's in basically the lion's den of um, of social media. Like mm. she's in kind of like the, the cathedral, I guess, mm. of um, this sort of movement being TED Talks. And she's basically standing up there on stage – pointing at all these guys who are like in the audience yeah like jack dorsey and, oh my god yeah, they're like, all there they're all there oh. yeah and um she's like democracy is broken and you people broke it anyway she does it like a much more considered job of it than i'm currently doing wow. um but it you're doing made- a good job for somebody who mostly spends their time in the kitchen that's right. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Just, oh, my scones are burning um so yeah. And the reaction has been kind of interesting too, actually, because it's been watched, I don't know, millions of times, wow. this, this um, talk. And she says that um, the day after or the afternoon after she delivered it, she got this legal notice from Facebook, you know, saying, um, you know, the big problems with what you've said. And then they, oh. they never really came through with anything. Like it all went quiet after right. that. Oh, um, interesting. Mm, but I just noticed in recent days there's been um, – there's been a bit of a a bit more of an unbending, I think, from some of those big companies as to their role and how they can um, kind of fix social it's, discourse. It's got to be a bit. You'd think it with those companies a bit front and center, isn't it? Corp- oh, the issues God. of like corporate social responsibility and stuff. Right. Because I mean, it's just become so deeply concerning. Well, well, the big problem is because social media is direct is is kind of crafted to you, like these ads really only come to you if you if something else about your profile suggests that you'll be susceptible to a message about how yeah. you know, dreadful immigrants are yeah. or um, you know and so and there's no way of recording that experience or kind of assessing it externally unless yeah. you're that person so yeah. i could look at the same website or the same youtube video and get a different pop-up ad from somebody who's um 
through their different life circumstances, more yeah. susceptible to a particular political message. Well, in that Ben Elton book I was talking about the other week, Identity Crisis, one of the subplots is about a company that is manufacturing the made-up social media posts. Right, And yeah. there's a policeman um, who he's not the main police character, he's a sideline one who's like a decent guy but he's got a bit of a tendency to believe that, you know, immigration's a problem and all that sort of stuff. And so he's getting all these Facebook ads targeted to him and then his colleagues are noticing, oh, he just seems a bit more strident than usual and it's because it's just filtering into his existing biases and making him a bit more racist and a bit more um, bigoted. So, yeah. But, I mean, like, because our advertising, you know, political advertising in Australia is pretty pretty restricted. I mean, you you actually can't do it for the last few days of the campaign. You have to run your ads through a regulator. But online, you don't have to. And not only do you not have to, but you can actually get away with a a really targeted campaign that um, a lot of people won't ever know about because you're targeting it only to people that... Your, that, whose online activity has created a profile that makes them a perfect target. So you can yeah. sort of, it's the ultimate narrow casting. And people, if, if something pops up that affirms your existing prejudices, you tend to just accept it and believe it of rather course. than go, oh, is that ad actually true? You know? Um, so I. Uh, tried to catch up watching and reading a few things that I'd been meaning to do for a while. One was, so remember when we interviewed Yoda Motolenghi, he said um, his book that he'd been reading on the plane was Standard Deviation by Catherine Heine, which yes, he liked and he yes, thought it was quite right. funny. I wrote it down and then did nothing about it. But so you I read it down, it downloaded it and read it. It's, uh, it oh. is a sort of witty book. It's Sorry, boyfriend, couple. she didn't like it. It's about a couple who lives in New York. The woman's name's Audra. Look, I just found Audra really selfish and annoying um, mm. and so that put me off a bit. But it was sort of funny and I did read the whole thing and enjoy it. I also read wow. a book that – short shrift. I also read a book Kind that, of enjoyed it thanks to the recommendation. <laughs> That's right. It's 9pm. Will you please leave? <laughs> <laughs> um, I also read a book that everyone's been talking about called The Spy and the Traitor by Ben McIntyre, which I think you would like. Okay. Um, it's basically, a, it's, a, it's non-fiction. It's the real-life story of MI6 in the 80s, basically using the head of the KGB, the Residentura in London. Oh. The top, the resident was secret MI6 agent. Oh, and so it's God. basically about... I can see why this is... Yeah, right up my alley. Ticking your boxes. Uh, it's basically about how they recruited him and then at about... It's it's clear that you know his cover's going to get blown at some point, as always does with these people. Right, and then yep. he gets sort of summoned back to Russia, and then MI six has to exfiltrate him. And it, from that point onwards, it is it's just it's <laughs> riveting. And there's so many like you know as as we know from watching the Americans, all the stuff about dead drops and signals and blah blah yep, blah. Yep. So his signal when he's in trouble is he has to stand somewhere with a Safeway bag. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, his name's Oleg Gordievsky. He's still alive, oh. still living in London. Uh, anyway, it's a very interesting book. John Le Carre's got the cover blurb. Actually, he says it's the best non-fiction spy thriller he's ever read. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, so. you punched the air when you got that blurb, wouldn't yes. you? As the author. Okay, I'm going to get through this as fast as possible because I don't want to take us over the 30 minutes. If you like chat10looks3.com, you can visit our website. Um, there are links. Give the address, sales. Give the address. Chat10looks3.com, that's what I just said. Oh, Everything we talk about, there's links to all of it right there. There's a thing that called Bedside Table you can click on. It's an online bookstore. You can buy the books that we talk about. Uh, sometimes there's merch for sale on there. Sometimes there's details about live shows that we're doing. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Instagram. And if you see Annabelle Crab in the streets, make sure you walk up and say hello and ask her to... 
to open your local school fate. And I will give them your home address. You're welcome. I watched a few bits and pieces. I watched um, Homecoming, which is the oh, Beyonce. Oh, this is the Beyonce thing. Yeah. All right, I've seen, I've seen billboards around for that. And yeah. And then I've, seen, I've heard people sort of yapping about it. Look, I so – li- It's like a live album or something. It's basically um, – she did a, a sort of concert as part of Coachella and it uses a sort of – uh, I forget what the what it's called, but it's like you know how like American sort of high schools and colleges have the big brass bands and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So she's crafted this show using tons of sort of, I guess, her own personal history plus African American history, and it's just the usual like Beyonce bigger than life sort of show yeah. and full on. She does a pretty great job of that stuff though. Amazing, yeah. and it's very thoughtful and. But the thing that just blew me away was the work. Oh, my God, the work to pull off a show of this nature. And she'd only just recently given birth to twins. Oh, my God. And so God, they're into cutting. Yeah, up. and then she's got her other little girl who's a bit older. So they're into cutting shots of her. Um, and there's a bit where she's talking about she's quite um, – she's carrying a fair bit of extra weight in the rehearsals and she's talking about it and saying – you know, I basically have to be eating and she rattles off this unbelievably restrictive diet to get back into my costumes and oh, I've got to do all these rehearsals and I'm, I'm just exhausted and this is hell and I never want to do this again. <laughs> anyway, she's very honest about the difficulties of all of what her life involves. Can't she just involves. get a bigger costume made? I just... I don't know. But the fitness to do... I mean, my God, it, it was just staggering. And then when you're watching, they're intercutting the actual concert with right. the bits of the rehearsal. So and it's then, a bit of a kind of behind the scenes-ish. Yeah, and explains a, yeah. her thinking about stuff and, and what she wants the concert to sort of convey. And mm. yeah, it's 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 really interesting. She, I think she's just quite amazing actually. So that was good. Um, then there were a couple of things I watched which were pretty ordinary. One was I'd been looking forward to it. It's on Netflix. It's called The Assassination of Gianni Versace. I think made by the same people who did the O.J. Simpson. I've got a book um, called The Assassination of Gianni Versace. It's written by Maureen Orth. You know that? um, I think it is based on that. Right. I bought it for like two bucks in in the book barn near the ABC. I thought, ooh, I'm going (laughs) to love that. I do love a bit of an investigation, but I haven't quite – Cracked into well, it this yet. this should have ticked a lot of boxes for me because it's fashion, it's trash, it's America, it's um, murder, it's mystery. There's bling. There's bling. I, I lasted for about twenty three minutes. Wow, too I, trashy for you. Too trashy even for me. Wow, it was so bad. It was like not even like a soap of the quality of like dynasty it's like a soap of the quality of like knots landing it's just Whoa. really oh wow horrendously bad oh, the bits this I is netflix saw. doing this yeah so that was sort of disappointing because i was thinking um that it was going to be really good um oh. and then so i abandoned that and then i watched something called you which is what do you want me to do i believe <laughs> oh, just close my Belinda's eyes i'm okay. putting fake eyelashes on lately oh, just um, See, those will come off in the shower in a day or two and you'll think your body's falling apart, but you'll be wrong. It's just the – I'm not really – Don't make – why are you making me laugh when I have to stand completely still? Belinda, slag. can you put false eyelashes on yourself? Oh, I'm not very good at it. It's hard. Is it easier really to do – do you find it easier to do makeup on somebody else than on yourself? Yes. Okay. I hate making myself up. Um, have you ever tried to make up yourself while you're furiously talking? Yeah. <laughs> the worst part about making myself up is, is I wear glasses, so oh, yeah. I need a large mirror. 
because otherwise I'm putting them on and off. What do you reckon is the, like for an amateur person just who has to do their own makeup, as a professional makeup artist, what would be your key tip about that? Oh, she's got two mics no, in her face. Two mics at it. <laughs> oh, I'm in an interview. Um, eyebrows, first of all. Oh, how interesting. Ooh, yeah, get your eyebrows right. And then. Because they frame your face. They frame your face and they. That's my eyebrows are so wrong, though. Probably. I've never done anything with my eyebrows. And as you know, I don't wear much makeup at all when I'm working. So yep. the only thing I do do, which I didn't this morning because I was up too early, yep. is my eyebrows. Wow. It's the only thing that really. And that's stuck together. Okay. But what do you actually do to them? Fill them in. Right. Shape them. Just close again. Um, and well, that would have been not even yeah. in my top ten of tips that I would yeah. expect you to say. That's the first thing. And then, and then other than that would be mascara and blush and, you know, a nice light base. Right. And, and just a lipstick. Lips, yeah. Right. But I don't even go that far. What do you think about the young girls these days with those eyebrows uh, that look like big rectangles? Uh, and their crappy eyelashes that are way too long. And She says as she's shoving false eyelashes <laughs> onto me. I'm not doing the Max version. So she's and attaching the, a sort of what appears to be a daddy long leg spider to your upper and all, And all the um, the contouring everyone does these days, yes. drawing shadows on their face and the stuff. Stripes, as I call them. Uh, do we blame the Kardashians for that? Yes, definitely. Crab, do you ever put makeup on, like, in your everyday life? Um, yeah, I do. If I'm ever going to um, speak somewhere or yeah. um, I, I always – I do my hair and I put makeup on because I feel like there's something weird that happens once you do a bit of television. Mm. People expect you to look the way that you look um, when you're on television. Yeah. And then when you turn up looking like you normally look, which is like a robber's dog, (laughs) then um, people get like weird. I've had, I don't know, like some people I find get offended if I'm not wearing a dress. What? Oh, if you're not wearing like a frocky type dress. Right. It's so weird. I do. It freaks me out when you're wearing jeans. I know. So then I feel, and I, it's so strange. I, I, one day I'll understand the psychiatry of this, but um, I feel as though if I don't make an effort to kind of like, you know, try and form some sort of approximation of what I look like when I'm on TV, yeah. then I feel like I've, it feels like I'm, I, I'm insulting these people by not having made an effort. Right. Isn't that so strange? And I think, no. I sort of hate it and I think, Annabelle, you're a, bloody idiot but then i don't know people mm. sometimes a bit crestfallen like oh, oh, oh hello <laughs> somebody in the street once said to me that i was much better looking on television well which, that's true. which is true of course but, i mean it'd be nice if you didn't tell me that given i'm only on television for half an hour and i'm off television for the other 23 and a half i turned up to do someone's book event once who was it oh god i was just having the worst week and i was just like it was one of those things where i was like cried a little bit on the way there and was just like my children were just like, where are you going? It was just the worst. And I got there and this woman, I, d- I didn't know her um, but and we hadn't met before but she'd asked me to come and do this thing. Anyway, I turned up and she looked me up and down and she said, oh, you're quite slender in real life, aren't you? Oh. And I just thought, I just feel like I could now punch your face. <laughs> I didn't. I said, huh. I think I was actually a bit, I said, oh, how how kind of you to say so. Oh, that's quite a good response. <laughs> anyway, re- we recovered from there. It was fine. But it was just like, oh, it's funny. There is a thing where once you're on television, I think people think that um, that 
everything about you is up for ge- just generalised comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Deary me. Um, so anyway, before you got down that rabbit hole. Gianni I was Versace, watching, too trashy for you. I dropped Gianni Versace. So then I started watching a thing called You, which has been on my watch list, but I only lasted two episodes of that. So it's about a bookshop in New York where a sort of girl walks in, the guy who works there decides he has a bit of a crush on her so he effectively starts stalking her mm. and then he turns out to be a, Classic bit, love story. a bit dark. And so, again, I just was like, oh, this is just tiresome. I thought so. this was going to be about bookshops in yeah. New York and now it's a horrible <laughs> thing. It's just a horrible stalkery type yeah. dude. Uh, so ditch that as well. Okay. I did listen to Oprah on Goop. Which oh, yeah. Had, yeah, which as I was sort of putting it on. It's a bit goopy. It was. And look, as I was putting it on, I was thinking, this is as far off my regular <laughs> consumption of stuff. It's it's Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop and it's Oprah doing like motivational sort of talk. But I must say, listening to it, I thought, I mean, a lot of what Oprah says, I think if you wrote it down would sort of be a bit of word salad. But my God, she's an amazing communicator. She really is. Bloody hell. She just, she's, she's, she's so compelling. Yeah. It's, She's definitely got a collection of crystals to like meditate with too, hasn't she? She oh. have one of those yoni eggs, hundred oh. <laughs> percent. <laughs> Sorry, I thought she was just <laughs> the yoni egg. Quite that is peak Paltrow, though, isn't it? Oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the yoni egg. Yeah. Oh, completely. The million I mean, dollar I'm yoni sh- egg. You bash up your clacker and then you know <laughs> make sure you don't laugh too hard in case you. Goop. Shoot someone dead on the subway. <laughs> Goop would have Goop would have a um, very extensive range of yoni eggs. Yeah, I know, but didn't she get in trouble for the yoni eggs? Like, did was she? It the yoni? God, we're about to horrendously defame this woman who's just <laughs> get improved to, our about lives to be, by interviewing. About to be served by Goop. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You'd just laugh, wouldn't you? Um, but I think that there was there was something where she said, "Oh, this is this has all these um, properties." It was it was a bit of a you know a triple C matter where she said oh shove this up bash your, this up and, your uh, and growler and, and you'll look like Angelina Jolie <laughs> no, no, and they were like no no like, not what? true <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. uh, yes gosh sorry everybody including Gwyneth um, but yeah I, I did enjoy that interview and I agree with you she is a phenomenal campaigner and I refer to you, you to you in case I can't remember whether you ever ended up listening to it but mm. that podcast series um, the making of Oprah. Oh, yeah. I never did listen to that. Yeah, it's extraordinary. And the main thing that's fascinating about it is the way that A, because I mean, the guy who first hired her in Cleveland or whether, well, no, in Chicago, wherever she started out, talked. It's amazing to hear him talk about the blowback that he got from the network because he wanted to hire this woman who was a black woman right. who was an overweight black woman oh, wow. yeah, um, to take over this morning talk show. Like he's, it was really, really hard. But he talks about meeting her and just saying this woman has got something absolutely magical and we have to get her on air and that's what they did. Well, but- it was interesting in the Goop podcast how she was talking about when she started out in Baltimore just as, you know, as we started out just as an on-the-road reporter. Yeah. But she sounded like she was pretty fully formed as Oprah yeah. pretty early in terms of her whole shtick. Well, that's the amazing thing about this podcast um, is that they've gone back and they've dug out, you know, stuff from so you can hear the audio stuff that she was doing in the and and was she fully formed exactly the same like she just sounds the same like it's so interesting and um the 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 fascinating thing that i didn't think of about that show is is the team that's behind it is all women like so she as she as that show grew and grew actually changed the entire structure of what um 
live television making was all about. Like, yeah. Because it was just all these women who were a really tight unit who worked really collaboratively. But the weird thing is there's just been Oprah really. Like, yeah, it's, it's not like it's created some massive change in the industry. Yeah, that's what Goop sort of made clear that, you know, she very much sort of directs and drives it. The other thing I thought was really interesting about her was um, that she – the other thing was, you know, like often we talk about stuff like imposter syndrome, just spray away blender, it's fine, um, imposter syndrome. Mm. She said the exact opposite. She said, oh, I knew that I was doing what I was meant to be doing and I knew that I'd been given these amazing skills. And so the question for me wasn't, um, oh, wow, do I really deserve to be here? I'm not a fraud. It's like, yeah, I deserve to be here. Now what am I going to do with it? Yeah, that's the way I think. I just <laughs> Very much how I think too. Just wake up and think, <laughs> oh, I've been given all this stuff. <laughs> been given these great this? gifts. I know. Now what Look am I going to do legs. with them? Look at this rack. Um. Um, <laughs> I, um, when we were talking about um, for a second about mustache. New York bookshops yeah. the other day, it made me remind. It reminded me that I have been meaning for ages to tell you that I have both read the book and watched the movie of yep. "Can You Ever Forgive Me" by Lee Israel. Oh, so oh yeah, okay. So um, the the book "Can yeah. You Ever Forgive Me" is a memoir of sorts of um, Lee Israel, mm. who um, was a is still is in fact um, a New York based writer who wrote a couple of like very successful biographies, yeah, and then kind of fell on hard times, right? Right, and she really like she lived uh, in an apartment with her cat, couldn't afford to pay the vet bills, miserable alcoholic, really really crashing out. And yep. she found – she noticed um, a bookshop selling um, framed Dorothy Parker letters and she thought, how difficult would it be to just make up, like to fake oh. all those things? Oh. And so she went into this, into covert business forging – and she's a oh. great writer. Like she could, oh. she could ape the voices of these um, oh, no. dead – Writers. Stars of letters, oh, yeah. Sheesh. And so she got into quite a tidy little business oh, no. making up um, and like Noel Coward and Dorothy Parker and um, uh, all sorts of stars. Oh, dear. Um, mm. and, and then, then she's written a book about doing this, has she? Well, look, you'll be surprised to hear it didn't end particularly well um it's a pretty closed little group and once you've got suspicions about one of your letters that you've flogged off then anyway um the film um is quite lovely actually um her friend who's a kind of down and out actor that she sort of hooks up with and well no just becomes friends with um and who ends up um flogging some of her letters when she becomes too hot to touch in the New York secondhand bookshop literary society um, is played by Richard E. Grant. Oh, yeah. And um, Lee Israel in the film is played by – is it Melissa McCarthy? You know, from – yeah. Uh, who was, of course, known for her impersonations of um, Donald Trump's press secretary early in the term. Right. Um, anyway, they're both just perfectly cast because wow. he's this kind of – snide, fallible, just sort of asshole, really, who nevertheless has a great deal of fun with her because she's a prickly, unlikable person, but she's a very, very – she's sort of darkly very funny and also actually quite a beautiful writer. So um, it's quite – the film is quite engaging, really. And oh, okay, that sounds yeah, good. 
And the book is very short, so you'll race through it. Excellent. And it's Good full of all these excerpts of all these letters that she made up, which are quite, you know. Good to um, know. Quite fun read. Now, um, you're winding Belinda's, up, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I am. Them. Because okay. Belinda's had to, she's pulled off the first lot of fake eyelashes, not happy with them, now is putting in <laughs> individual lashes um, just to try to get me looking absolutely flawless. So um, I think we should go because I'm going to need to hold extremely still. Job done. All right. Cool. All right. Thanks, Belinda. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>